Good morning again. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 2. And I just want to remind you, last week we saw the importance of turning to our Bibles. Uh, That is the first thing that the early church devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, And from our study, we saw that the apostles' teaching was the Word of God in relation to Christ. So seeing the commands of God, seeing the promises of God, and even seeing the glory of God in relation to Christ Jesus and what he accomplished for us. And so this is where we are today, though, as we move through. We're saying, okay, if God's word is authoritative and and, and Christ and all that he's done is is what makes the difference. So so now I want to hear from God's word. I want to be changed by it. Because that is essential for being a healthy Christian, being a healthy church. Speaking of being a healthy church, I am uh, convinced more than ever, as I stand here, I'm convinced more than ever by God's word that we, meaning the Western Christianity, we need a radically renovated understanding of what it means to be a church. I'll just say that again. I am convinced more than ever by God's word that we need a radically renovated understanding of what it means to be a church. And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about just in general, most in Western Christianity. I believe that we have let culture influence church far too much. I believe we've allowed uh, unhelpful traditions to, to be our guide for far too long. And I believe that Satan and our remaining sinful flesh are loving the way that we do things because it has largely created unhealthy and unfruitful Christians and churches. We need a radically renovated understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church. And so just as we get going, I want to paint uh, a familiar picture of what a typical Christian here in the West thinks when they, you know, hear the word church. Like what pops into their mind. First, they probably think, well, a church is a building often with a steeple on it. We used to have a steeple, but I think a, a tornado or strong winds took care of that one for us. Uh, but, you know, they, when, 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 you say, uh, when you say the word church, what pops into their mind is a place. Or if it's not a place, they think of an event, a weekly event. They think, okay, a church, a church is a service that happens once a week where Christians come to watch leaders on a stage while they play music and deliver an encouraging sermon. That's church. Say, I'm not so silly as to think church is a building. Church is an event. An hour-long whatever of, of worship music, prayers, and, and, and a sermon from, from the pulpit while everyone stares at the person up front. That is what they think of when they hear the word church. And Christ, a Christian, by the way, in this model is someone who has personally trusted in Jesus, has a private relationship with Jesus during the week, to some degree. 
this, this private relationship with Jesus. Then they come to church to get recharged and go back out to do their personal life with Jesus as a Christian. So again, in this model, uh, by, by Christian cultural standards, if they attend church most Sundays, and if they occasionally read their Bible and pray alone at their house, then they are really solid. They are doing the Christian life, and they are really doing church. But let me ask you this, because I've been asking myself this question for quite some time now. Is that church the way the Bible talks about it? Is that what it looks like to be a Christian? Like, did I just describe a really solid Christian? I mean, were they actually doing church? Are they being the church the way God describes in Scripture? Because again, this is our our guide. This is our anchor. This is uh, our foundation by which we orient all of our lives is God's word. And so we look at Scripture and we say, well, is is that church? Is that what a Christian should look like? So let me say this, I, I think just by the way I've been going, you're probably saying, nope, that's not it. That's not a church, that's not a solid Christian. Well, but let me ask you, then what's lacking? What, what is missing in that equation? Where is it deficient? In other words, what's missing in most churches and in the lives of most Christians today if they are satisfied with that model of church and Christianity. And I think that's a, a really important question to ask. We say, well, that just doesn't seem quite like it. Or if it does seem quite like it, I'd, I'd love to change your mind today uh, as we study God's word. So what's missing? What, what is it actually supposed to look like to be a Christian? What is church actually supposed to look like? So we turn again today for the third week Um, to the earliest days of the church, when it was first born uh, on that day of Pentecost. So at this point, um, the the Holy Spirit has come upon the 120 uh, disciples that were in that that upper room. They they come out and they, they preach the gospel to a great crowd, by the way, in languages that the people could understand. But mainly we see Peter's sermon there in Acts chapter 2. And the result of that is 3,000 of these people become baptized, Holy Spirit indwelt followers of Jesus. There's no question about it. These people believe, they're they're, they're baptized into the church, and they, they, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so now we want to say, okay, So what did it look like when it was fresh off the showroom floor? What was God's ideal before tradition, before culture, before just our natural bent towards laziness and and whatever else affected them? What did it look like? And so this is where we come. If you want to look in your Bibles or or on the screen, Acts 2, verses uh, 42 to 47. This is what it says they did right after they, they come to faith. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and 
and sorry, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is God's word. That is God's vision for the church. These are the undeniable, unremovable principles that each church must live in light of, must base their model off of. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer, if you will, before we we dig into this. Father God, um, we've just taken a candid look at um, what is the generally accepted idea of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to do church. And yet we read Acts chapter 2, your vision for the church, and they look almost nothing alike. And it seems to me, God, that the results are different too. It seems to me, uh, Lord, that, that what we are doing is not working. They were adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were fruitful, God. And yet so, so much our, our churches here in the West are not fruitful. We are not expanding your kingdom at the rate you would have us. And so, God, we are thankful for the good things uh, about the churches in the West. We're thankful for the good things about this church. But, Lord, we do want to fall in line. We want to, to, to walk in your way. We want to be in your pattern, building our church off your principles. Because we want to live for your glory. We want to be about your great commission. We want to find our fullest satisfaction and joy as we do these things. So Lord, would you help us to, to understand and to be convinced by your word of what you have to teach us today. And, and, and Lord, give us practical wisdom for how this can become uh, more of a reality in our church, Lord. That, that we would produce Christians that look more like what the Bible says a Christian looks like and that we would be a church that looks more like what the Bible says a church should look like. Lord, I pray that you would do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we, we've, we've described the typical church and the, the typical Christian in it who seems to be doing very well, but then we have looked at God's vision for the church and the two are quite different. And and so this can be difficult. We can say, I, I see that they're different. I, I know that they're different, but it, it's hard for me to understand how. Like, what's different about them? And so here, here's the first thing I want to show you from the book of, of Acts, from that passage we've just read, uh, that is markedly different than the typical Western Christian and the typical Western church today. 
And so that, that is this. The first point in your notes, if you're following along there, is this. Christian identity is community. Christian identity is community. This is something that I think emerges quite clearly, like amazingly clearly, from these five verses that we just read from Acts chapter 2. We, we compare that, by the way, I'll just kind of go back to it, to our today's Western version of Christianity. We, we have what, what is often called the Lone Ranger Christian. And, and, you know, this is just how we think. We say, I made a personal decision to trust in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus, so now I'm a Christian. And so now I need to do, have a personal walk with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. So as long as me and God are good, as long as I have fellowship with God, you might say, then everything's okay. And yeah, I'm not supposed to neglect the gathering together as Hebrews 10.25 says. So, you know, I'll go to the weekly gathering, check that box, then go back to my personal, private relationship with Jesus, go back to my personal, private life, go back to my personal, private family and work and hobbies and everything else. And we, we, we try to live our lives, we try to live out Christianity on our own. And I'll tell you, culture is definitely pushing us this way. We live, we live in a world that is increasingly individualizing us, increasingly separating us. We don't have to go out even at, you know, face-to-face. We have so much technology that we feel like we're in relation to people. We don't uh, walk through our neighborhoods anymore where we're passing our neighbors. We, we, we stay in our metal cages, and then we pull into our, our garage and close the door, you know, cr- close the garage door and then walk in. And we can, we can go through the day without seeing anybody other than our family and maybe a coworker or two. And, and, and there's something, too, like in, in Western, you know, mentality of the self-made man. You know, we, we, we scoff at the, the, the trust fund baby, like, oh, he, he didn't make it his own way. His parents helped him to get there. And we say, ha, he didn't, he didn't really accomplish anything worthwhile. Even if he's <clears throat> super successful and useful, we still say, yeah, but he didn't do it on his own. <clears throat> because what's truly virtuous is to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I better get a drink of water. <clears throat> So that is how we have been influenced. It's the air we breathe to be individualistic or maybe just our family. It's the air we breathe. It's like secondhand smoke. Like you might not want it, but it's there. It's in the air. You breathe it in and it, it, it comes in you and it becomes a part of you. But this is not how it was for this first Christian community. They did not see their identity as individualistic. Christian identity for them was community. Yes, they were connected to Christ in their salvation, absolutely. An indissoluble union was made between them and Christ, but that union was also between them and the Christian community. I I, I see this, by the way, in a couple of ways in our passage. I I don't want to go too crazy here because I think the passage kind of speaks for itself, the way they saw themselves as a community, but I'll I'll just show you uh, that God inspired Luke to record this in a particular way to help us understand this. 
So uh, verse 41, that was the verse before our passage. If you, you'll see it there maybe in your Bibles, but also on the screen. Uh, it says there, So those who received his word, Peter's word, were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, then verse 247, this is the, the end of the passage that we just read. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what's interesting, that, that God inspired Luke to word it in a certain way. He doesn't say, and then uh, 3,000 received his word and were saved. It doesn't say, uh, and, and, and um, day by day, there were more who were being saved. No, what it says is, they were added. They, they were added, and then even in verse 47, they were added to their number. What, what were they added to? They were added to a community. They got saved, yes, they had a, a new relationship with Christ, but that's not even what uh, Luke highlights when he wrote the book of Acts. He doesn't highlight that they were added to, to Christ that day. He actually adds, or he says that they were added to the church. They were added to the Christian community. Like, I mean, this, this is an effort to help us see they were not Lone Ranger Christians out there floating around. No, they were added all together to make a sum total, a group, a community. This is, is, is just... Again, that's like uh, evidence, but you just look at the overarching thing. If you just scan those verses, it's, it's all through there that they are doing community life. They, Luke isn't the only one telling us. Like They clearly understand from the moment they got saved that I am saved into Christ and into a community, to the, to the Christian community, and they begin doing life together. And you, okay, but you say, well... Maybe they're just weird. Maybe that's just how they happened to respond. How do we know that that's God's ideal for the church, that that's God's vision for the church, that they would see themselves not as individual Christians the way we think of it, but as being joined to a community? Like, what if they're just weird? Maybe, maybe they just were so excited, and so this is what they started to do, right? You know, yeah, you, you newly saved and like, oh, I, I want to read the Bible. I want to be around other Christians. Like maybe it's just their excitement, but this really isn't the way it's supposed to be. I did one of the uh, like most in-depth like word and topic studies I've <laughs> ever done in the Bible uh, this week. I spent probably too much time doing it. But what I did was this, and it was startling to me. I, I looked in the Bible and, and I looked up as many Christian identity markers, like things that tell us who we are, names in the Bible for, for, for who we are and what we are when we become a Christian. And it is amazing. And so I kind of want to run you through these real quick. I'm going to be as fast as I can, but I've got the, these things in your notes. The, the, the words that I looked up, literally every usage, I read every single usage uh, if I had questions about it, I looked into the Greek, I looked in tenses, I looked at the context um, that, that these things were in to the best of my ability. But here are some things I want you to see. And the question is, are we, is the Bible trying to push us toward individualistic Christianity where, where we have a personal relationship with Jesus, we have a private you know, time with Jesus, we come to church for a little bit, then step out? Is that what the Bible is pushing us to? 
or is it pushing us to a community identity? And so there are some terms that give us our identity that the Bible uses. You'll be familiar with these. And so I'm, I'm just going to put them all on the screen. You can uh, do what you want with those. Uh, but but here, here's the first question. We, we kind of already talked about this, but is the church a place or a people? That's, that's the first question like, that we would ask of the Bible. Does the Bible ever call the church a building? Like, is, is any building ever called the church or a church? Um, and and there, there, the fact is, there, the word church is used 113 times in the New Testament, and never once is it used for a building. There is no such thing as a church building uh, or a building being called the church in the Bible. So that's just like in context the way it's used. But I, I should mention the word church is ecclesia, and it literally means called out ones or assembly. Like, so just the meaning of the word is talking about people and their gathering, not about a place. And I would even say this, <clears throat> looking at 113 uses of the word church, it's incredibly rare that when the word church is used, that it's talking about a singular once a week event. Very rare. I think it's 1 Corinthians 14 uh, is one place that it like talks about this event of church. It's talking about uh, just a handful of issues within, and it's talking about you know when you gather in the church, like or sorry, gather as a church, when the church gathers, I guess is the way I should say it. You can see how I'm still influenced by the cultural way we use these words. But when the church gathers, uh, you know, and it, it kind of gives the sense of this weekly thing. Anyways, all that to say, the, the Bible, the way it talks about church is literally, the word means assembly. Like, church is an assembly. So you say, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing church. It doesn't just mean going, even going to a building. Like, it doesn't matter where it is. It's assembling with other Christians. It is clearly not this um, <clears throat> individualistic understanding. There's a communal idea for what it means to be a part of the church. So the next one, th I mean, these get interesting, by the way. I did not expect the things that I would find doing these studies. Uh, so we think about this. Um, it's the next one up there on the screen. Does the Bible talk about you as a saint? Individual, you, you're a saint. Does Paul ever call himself a saint? Does anyone ever call themselves a saint? Or is it saints? That's the question. Like, does it think of saints, holy people? That's what the word uh, saint means is holy. And so, like, are, are, is it, am I a person made holy by the blood of Christ? Or am I a part of a group of people made holy by the blood of Christ? <clears throat> so here, here's my findings from it. Uh, the word saint is used as a Christian identifier 60 times. It's used in other ways, uh, but as a Christian identifier, talking about uh, Christians, it's used 60 times. Zero of those times are individual. None. 59 times the word saint is in the Bible. It is plural. 59 of the 60. It is literally the plural word saints. The one time... It is used in the singular. This is what it says. It's Philemon, I think like 1-5. Uh, he says, uh, greet every saint in the Lord. Every saint. 
And so even that is not individual. So you will not find in the Bible this idea of this saint and this saint. And th- what you see is saints. I mean, th- this is startling for me as I, as I looked at these things, that there's, there's no category for just one saint. It is always in the Bible, the way the Bible wants us to think about it, is saints, a community of Christians. Next on there, some of, the, some of y'all aren't going to like this. Does the Bible call you a child of God or are you a part of the children of God? Because we, we say that I'm a child of God and, and I want to say that that's true, but is that the, bi- the way the Bible wants you to think about it? Well, I put there these verses, and, and by the way, you can, you can look at these later. I'm not going to um, read them all. Here, 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 here are two examples um, I don't remember, no, I, I didn't put him in there. Uh, John 1.12, one you might know. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, plural, of God. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And there are uh, just a couple more examples of that that I put in your notes that you can look at later. Never once in the Bible does it talk about a child of God, never once. The only thing that it talks about in the New Testament is children of God. What you say, well, what's the difference between me being a child of God and me being a part of the children of God? Well, one is individually individualistic minded. Oh, God's my father, I'm his child. That's individualistic. It's true. It's true. But there's a big difference between saying, I'm a child of God, and saying, I'm a part of the children of God, the household of God, the family of God. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Not my Father who's in heaven, our Father who is in heaven. Like, this is the way the Bible is teaching us to think. It's completely opposite of the way our culture, and even our Christian culture, is teaching us to think. And so, what's crazy is, we would all assume, well, surely there's individual saint, There's an individual saint. Surely it's uh, I'm a child of God is in the Bible. So it's not there. What we're doing is reading the Bible and thinking about the Bible through the lens of culture, through the programming of culture. And so we think about being a Christian and being the church in individualistic terms, but it is not in the Bible. This is going to get weirder and weirder. The, the next one there is, are you or are we the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we think about that. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm the dwelling place of God. Uh, there are four places in the Bible. I listed those in your, your notes there that this is uh, put. I would say the only one that could be understood individually and, and like actually reading it in context and actually looking at things is uh, that first one I listed there, 1 Corinthians 6.19. And that is in the context of sexual immorality. And so... Paul is saying, like, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't defile that temple by uh, sexual misconduct, by sexual immorality. And so I think that one is saying, like, you and and are temple of the Holy Spirit. It seems more individualistic, uh, like, or that you could take it individually because you are the one who either commits or doesn't commit sexual immorality. You either defile or don't defile uh, the temple But the other three instances of this, you're the temple, you're the dwelling place of God, 
The other three, if read in context and, and actually looked at, um, are talking about the community of believers collectively being the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't believe me, I'll, I'll read for you one. I wonder if I, I don't think I put any of these up there. I, maybe I did. No. All right, I'll, I'll read it for you. This is Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, okay? Ephesians 2, 19, I mean, this is so clear. And it has other, uh, just as a bonus, it has other community-based identifiers in it. So Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, <clears throat> Paul says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, that's a community of citizens, with the saints, so now you know who you're a community of citizens with, with saints, and members of the household of God. Again, you're not a child of God, it's children of God, this household. Uh, all right, so I, I'll keep going. I just, I like that those were right there. Verse 20 says this, uh, this, this um, household of God is, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and, and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Then he says this, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. By the way, uh, the first Peter instance there is talking about that we are living stones making uh, this household for God to serve as a priesthood. Like that's not as a priest, but as a priesthood. Where it is us together that are the dwelling place of God. It is us together that have the glory of God residing, the, 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 the manifest presence of God residing. It is us, not me. Are you the dwelling place of God? Yes, but that is not mainly the way the Bible wants you to think about it. If we actually read, actually study these without our, our individualistic lenses on, it is we together, collectively, the saints, the household of God, we are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. The next one, are we lone workers, or are you a lone worker, or are you a part of the body of Jesus? I, I hope that this isn't new for you, uh, but like the Bible doesn't have a category for, oh, I'm just the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, no, you aren't. You're a member of a larger body that has hands, feet, fingers, has uh, you know, knees, legs, ears, eyes, mouth, like there's a full body with many members of which we are all apart, joined together. And I'll just, again, read for you one example of the way the Bible talks about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. Sounds like a lot. I'm going to skip around um, a lot in reading this, but pl please listen to this. This is the way God wants you to think about your identity as a Christian uh, in, in service to him. He says there, for just as the body is one and has many members, that's the physical body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, not, that would not make it less a part of the body. Verse 19 says, If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And he says this, if one member suffers, one member of the body of Christ suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, Christians, you all, plural, I hate that English doesn't have a good word for plural you. We do in the South, y'all. Now y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So there, like, we, I heard that word individual. My ears perked up. My Western ears perked up. I heard that word individual. Oh, it's actually telling me that I'm not individual. <laughs> now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Like you're, you're joined to it. So that's us working. That's us being the hands and feet of Jesus. Is being joined to the body of Jesus. This is the way we are meant to understand it. Uh, I'm going to keep moving a little quicker. It, uh, am I an ambassador for Christ? Or are we ambassadors for Christ? You, you'll have to read it in 2 Corinthians 5. But I'll just tell you, it is we are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. Christ making his appeal through us like it's always a we and an us ambassadors for christ representatives of him on this earth next one am i the light of the world or are we lights of the world ephesians 2 15 uh, he says be blameless and innocent children plural of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights plural in the world like that you have this plural idea then you think about well jesus says you are the light of the world in matthew 15 and so i would again tell you the you in matthew 5 14 is plural y'all are the light of the world it is not a singular understanding you are the light of the world i'm not saying you're not a candle but i'm just saying you're not shining bright enough and that leads me to my next point does jesus say that as the light of the world that we are a house or a city set upon a hill which is it friends a city what's a city made up of lots of houses lots of people and that's the point so i'll read to you matthew 5 14 to 16 and i'm going to read the southern version we're going to have to esv essv i don't know english southern standard standard version matthew 5 14 to 16 y'all are the light of the world a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under, under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in the whole, to, to all in the house. In the same way, let y'all's light shine before others, so that they may see all y'all's good works <laughs> and give glory to all y'all's Father who is in heaven. I, I, again, we need to come up with a non-Southern word that is plural for you, but that's the way Jesus said it. You all are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill can't be hidden. Guess what? One little candle on a hill, one, even one little house on a hill could easily be missed. But Jesus says a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. That's community. That's the light that we are supposed to shine, that people can see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven happens as community. Christianity, being a Christian, inherently gives you a community identity, not an individualistic one. We have simply read the Bible far too long with our individualistic eyes. I do want to say this. Please read your Bible at home alone. Please pray at home alone. Like These are things that we must do. That is an aspect of it. 
But I'm, I'm here to tell you, it is not enough. It is not enough. It is just one aspect of what it is to be a Christian. Because we are made to be communal. I, I kind of want to mention this too, by the way. This is like not a new thing for humanity with the church. Creation, God creates everything. He created the light and it was good. He created uh, the water and the land and it was good. He created the trees and everything was good. He creates man and it was very good. What was the first thing he said was not good? Anyone just yell it out. It is not good for man to be alone. That is not a, a sermon on marriage. It's a sermon on relationship. It is not good for man or woman to function alone, to try to live in relationship with God, right? They're in the Garden of Eden with God and to serve God. It is not good for man to be alone. This, by the way, is before sin. Sin had not yet occurred and broken. And you say, well, if I were just uh, mature enough, then I wouldn't need community. No, before they were even sinners, while they were still perfect, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. We were created for community. We were created to function, to, to worship God, to serve God together. Now you say, yeah, but we, we do that on Sundays. We, we come together. You know, maybe we go to Sunday school and someone teaches a lesson. Then we come in here, we, we sing together. You know, uh, we, we, we listen to the sermon together. So like we're doing it together. I would say that that is so far from what the Bible talks about that that community is supposed to look like for the church. I mean, just so far removed. And we see it right there in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, um, verses 42 to 47. Like, again, you see it just listed. Here's how they acted. Uh, but I, I want to give you, give you a little more here. But just as a foundation, like, remember, like, this it's like we, we can't say, yeah, but I'm a Bible-believing Christian, so I'm good, I'm healthy, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to be fruitful. I will tell you, no, you're not, because that's only one aspect, right? We saw last week they, they, were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So yes, that is one aspect, the word of God in relation to Christ, but that isn't where they stopped. It was not enough. It is not enough. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I would say that those are the two core pillars of what made this Christian community what it was. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And what we find, uh, both as we, we read this text, and, and I want to help you study the word fellowship a little bit, what we find is that fellowship is a whole lot more than checking in on Sunday, than scooting back out, and then going doing life alone. That is not what they were devoted to. Even that word devoted, like they were devoted to coming to church on Sunday morning, like really? That's devoted? Like no, no, the, the, this, is, this, this was a priority. This was a, a, an all con, a life-consuming part of, of what they've become in, in this Christian community is they devoted themselves to fellowship. And so you say, okay, well what is fellowship? Like what, what makes fellowship different than every other community? I mean, I think that's a good question. Like, every other community, like, there's, there's teams, there's clubs, there's people with similar interests, sim similar backgrounds, and, and they, they, they have, you know, community. 
what makes Christian community different? Well, Christian community is different because of fellowship. The true meaning of the word, um, not necessarily how we use it. And so here, here's what I want to give you. Fellowship is sharing life. Fellowship, the way the Bible uses it, the way what the Greek word means, fellowship is sharing life. It's far more than, than coming and staring at a preacher. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm telling you, the Bible talks about that. We must preach the word in season and out of season. That there is, is absolutely merit. It is essential that the word of God is preached to us. So I'm not telling you you're wasting your time right now. I'm saying we've missed a whole aspect of, of, of what it's supposed to be. It's not doing that. It's not, you know, greeting each other before and after the service. Like, that's a part of it, but that's not the end of it. Um, fellowship is sharing life. And so I'll just tell you, like, the, the word fellowship in the Greek, I mean, because we just got to understand it. We've put a new, our own meaning on the word fellowship. So I want you to understand it. That the root word is, is common or shared. Like, that is what the, the what koinonia means so koinos is the the root word of koinonia and it is common like we have this in common but uh koinonia the, this this fuller word um that that we're using here for for fellowship that's translated fellowship um carries a lot of deep implications more than just that we have something in common but i do want to say that uh, I, I don't have it in your notes um like this isn't one of my points but Fellowship derives from what we have in common, and, and that's absolutely true. Fellow, our fellowship with one another is based on our fellowship with God. Because we have uni been united to God, because we have a common salvation, uh, because we now have a common identity, because we now have a common mission and pursuit and goal, because we have that in common, that, that like creates the fellowship. But doing fellowship, devoting yourself to fellowship, is more than just having something in common. And so that's, that's what I want to show you today. So, so, so what is fellowship? Again, the way the Bible uses it, the way the Bible describes it, what is it? So the first thing I want to show you is this, in your little sub-points. Fellowship is togetherness. Togetherness. That, that seems obvious, but I, I feel like it's, it's been missed so much because if, if togetherness has become sitting in, in, in an hour and a half service, like we're, we're missing the way the Bible describes true fellowship. Acts 2, verses 44 and 46, and all who believed were together. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And so there's a couple things I want you to notice here. These are, these are also in your notes. First, in this togetherness, fellowship happened day by day. Not week by week, day by day. And, and I don't know that that means like literally every single day we must be together. But again, like we just need to kind of get the emphasis here. The, the thrust of what God is trying to tell us through this is there, there's a devoted, a continual, uh, a pattern of togetherness that, that is a lot more than a week, a lot more than an hour. Like this is something that happened frequently throughout their day-to-day -day lives. Remember, Koinonia uh, Fellowship is sharing life. 
like, well, this is, we, we do life every single day. We do. Fellowship happened day by day. You say, well, how, how, how can they do that? Well, second, here's just another little subpoint here, this togetherness. Fellowship happened at the temple and in their homes. So, like, there's, there's kind of two categories that I see here. How, how can they do this day by day? Like, did they really go to church? Like, the building, which, again, isn't what the word even means, but did they come, you know, to everyone together at the church every single day for fellowship? No. What we see there is there's two kind of categories. Uh, they're attending the temple together. So, like, that would be the bigger open area. They're, they're meeting on Solomon's porch or portico, uh, we find later in Acts. But they're, they're meeting in a big open area where you could have a large crowd together. And that is considered fellowship. Again, I'm like what we're doing right now is biblical. That, that there is someone who has, who has studied and thought through God's word, preaching it and proclaiming it to our hearts. That is absolutely biblical. And so they were doing that. And that was a form of fellowship. But on the other end of the spectrum, they were also doing this day by day in their homes. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So what we see is, again, the most public and almost non-relational form of fellowship was the whole group gathered at, at the temple. But, but then, <clears throat> on the other end of the spectrum, you have in their homes. That's the most intimate setting. And it, what, I, what I believe, by the way, is going on here is not that they only met at the temple and they only saw you know, in each other's homes, like where they could just bring in maybe one other family or two other families. I think everything in between is implied as well. Like just what they were doing in their life, they were together, both in the temple with the big group where like you can't even see the person on the other side and in their homes where you're sitting across the table having conversation like and everything in between. As they, as they walked from the temple to, to the home, like I mean just like in, in their daily thing, maybe they, they began working together and just like they just did life together. They found ways to do life together with the time that they had. And that, that's what I think is implied here with the temple, general, the homes, most private, most intimate. And so there's togetherness in fellowship. There's togetherness. It happens continually. It happened day by day. And it happened at the temple, the big group, and in their homes, the intimate settings in their normal day by day. The, the next meaning of fellowship that I want to show you. And I just want these things to sit on us and thinking about, like, this is what God has said his vision for the church is. And so remember that with the togetherness and even as we move forward. Uh, the, the next one we see very clearly here in, in Acts is fellowship is caring. So fellowship is togetherness, but fellowship is also caring and, and actually caring even about practical needs. So we see that. I've got the verse on the screen, verses Acts 2, 44 to 45. And all who believed were together, so we got the togetherness, and had all things in common. That word common is koinos. Remember, fellowship is koinonia. Common is koinos. Together, common, shared. Like, that's, that's that same word. That's the root word of fellowship. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Well, what did that mean? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What that means is they're saying, like, you don't have much. Like, you're struggling to get by. You know what? M what's mine is yours. 
we are sharing life. Like what God has entrusted to me, like isn't mine. Like I'm merely a steward of it. Like so I'm going to get it to you as have need. And this is not um, socialism or communism that they were required to liquidate all their assets and then distribute them evenly to each person. No, as any had need, which means this person, they had an extra property or extra possessions and, and they say, okay, I can sell that because this person has a need. I can get by on what I have without this extra stuff, but this person isn't getting by. And so I'm, I'm gonna care for them. That is koinonia. That is fellowship, is caring for one another's needs. That is loving one another the way Jesus said to love one another, that the world will know you are my disciples, loving one another enough to care for their practical needs, even if it means sacrificing our stuff, sacrificing our surplus, or even feeling, like even if it's not just over-the-top surplus, like feeling the pain of it, they're caring for one another's needs. I, I would, by the way, say, I think uh, y'all are very good at that. <laughs> I, I wonder how many of you that's already going through your mind, like fellowship is caring, yes, <laughs> we're, at, we're doing it, you know, because like when there is a need in this church, y'all step up, like I have no question when a need arises and an email goes out or, or the, the grapevine of people are, you know, talking and texting of like, hey, there's this need. You guys, we, we sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our resources, your money. Uh, like, it happens. People care for one another in this church. And so I, I, I want to say, as the Bible so often does, like, keep doing it and do it all the more. That's, that's the way the Bible talks when a church is doing well. Like, you, you're loving one another well. Uh, excel all the more in love. And so uh, fellowship is togetherness, like day by day togetherness at the temple and in the homes. And fellowship is caring, like what's mine is yours. Like we're, we're in this together, you know. Uh, I, ca- I care for you. I love you enough uh, to, to care for your needs. But here's this final one that I want us to get. And I, I want to dive into this more next week. So I've, I can't get too, too far. Fellowship is investing, Say, what's this have to do with the stock market? I'm not talking about the stock market. I'm talking about each other's lives. Think about this. If we are not just individual Christians saved, but we are grafted into a community, then we can no longer just care for ourselves. We have to care for the community. And if you care for the community, you invest in the community, and I am zero talking about money right now. Like, I'm not turning into a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. I'm talking about investing in the spiritual lives of one another. This is what we see. Uh, And this is kind of missed on us uh, in Acts. It says there they were, uh, day by day, they're breaking bread in their homes. Like, we just think, okay, they're in the house and they have a meal. In the near east, like where this is at, uh, they're, you know, like we're Western, they're, they're Eastern, like in an Eastern culture to share a meal was inviting another person into your life. That's, that's what it meant to, to sit around a table and share a meal was inviting another person into your life. That, that is, again, we see that all through the Bible. Like that's why we have the Lord's Supper is a meal. Like God is inviting us into him, like partake of my body, my blood, says Jesus. Like th- this is what it is. Like it's saying, hey, I, I saw you at the temple, <laughs> you know, like we kind of got talking. Do you want to come back to my house and, and like we can start doing life together? I want to invest in your life. 
I, I want to see you become more and more faithful in your walk with Christ, in our walk with Christ. Not only do I, want to, do I want to see you be more faithful, I want to see you fruitful. I want to see reproduction happen from your life. You know why? Because Christ said, go therefore and make disciples. And, and so like my investment in your life is to help you be a good disciple by making more disciples. And this, this is what's going on. As they're breaking bread in their homes, they're, they're inviting them into their world, into their lives. There's an intimate nature. There's an invested nature here, and they are investing in one another. Um, I, I read it earlier. I don't know if I have it. Yep. I, I read it earlier about the, um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. One of our communal texts there, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 to 27. I think it was the body. There we go. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Say, what are you talking about? If they suffer, that's not my problem. That's because we think individualistically. That's because we're not good at fellowship. It, it, this, like, we just got to think about it this way. Uh, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The point is, as you look around this room, like, you should care, I should care, we should care just as much about the person in front of you or the person behind you, the person beside you, just as much about their spiritual life, their walk with Christ, as you care about your own. When they are suffering spiritually, it should cause you to suffer spiritually. When they are spiritually succeeding, they're seeing victory, they're honored, it says there, like, we should all be rejoicing together at their spiritual growth, at their spiritual success, at their fruitfulness. Why? We're all one body. Like, it, 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 like I, I'm a part of them. They're a part of me. I care about it. And so what that means, if we, if we truly are that way, we, we suffer together, we rise together, we fall together, we succeed together, we fail together. What that means is we invest in each other's lives because we care just as much about them as we do about ourselves. Again, I don't have a whole lot of time here, but Ephesians 4, we'll, we'll get into this more deeply. But this is Jesus' idea for the church. Again, if you read it in context, and he, Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So these are like what you might call church leaders. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Remember saints? That's all of y'all. <laughs> like we're, we're all in this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You say, well, what's the ministry? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity, until we all, I want to emphasize that, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we all attain to that, what, what, what I'm supposed to do and what other leaders of the church are supposed to do is equip you to build up the body of Christ. What does that look like? Helping everyone in this body to attain to this unity of faith, this knowledge of the Son, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. It says in verse 16, the whole body, all of us, Joined and held together by every joint with it which it is equipped when each part is working properly. That means investing in one another's lives. When each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's fellowship. That, that is a, the meaning of fellowship. It is an investment because we are in this together. We're all a part of the same body. That means we work together and we work for each other. We invest in each other's lives. And, and there's certainly, I, just, I don't have time, but there's certainly an evangelistic fellowship as well. What Paul calls partnership. I'll just show this to you quickly. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Philippian church, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's koinonia, that's fellowship, because of your fellowship in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, <clears throat> it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. The point is, and that, by the way, the part, uh, your partakers, that's also the same word as fellowship. So partnership and partakers, it's all that koinonia. This is fellowship happening. They are helping Paul do ministry. They're supporting him in the context of Philippians. They're supporting him uh, as he's out on the road on his missionary journeys. And even when he is in prison, they're supporting his ministry. They want him to be fruitful. But we see in addition to that, in verse 27, uh, the word fellowship isn't, isn't used, but he talks about how they should be with one another, not just toward him, the, the great missionary. Here's how they should be with one another. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You hear that. Paul says, you're partners with me. You, you have fellowship with me in this way that you're, you're, you're investing in my ministry, investing in my fruitfulness. What I want to see is you guys be of one mind, one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the, faith of the gospel. I want you to help each other share the gospel. I want you guys to be a city set upon a hill, not in the candle of a window of one house. Because that is where you will shine most brightly. Community isn't just God's favor to us because we're lonely and need friends. Community is the vehicle through which God wants to accomplish his great commission of the gospel going out into this city, our country, and to the ends of the earth. It will happen in and through community as we build up one another and as we partner with one another in the, uh, sharing the gospel of Christ, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I have so many things to say, and I'm out of time. But, but I, I think about us, and, I, and we, we see this of like, okay, that Christian who, who they, they have a personal, you know, they have personal salvation, and they have a personal relationship with God, reading their Bible, uh, then they come to church, and then they, they leave. Like, those are good things. But that's not the way the Bible talks about Christianity. The Bible talks about a person who trusts in Christ, and then the moment they trust Christ, they are united to the community of believers. And in that local community of believers, they have fellowship. They have togetherness. They care for one another, and they invest in one another in both their faithfulness and their fruitfulness. And so I just want to read the questions I have at the bottom there. These are really uh, to be discussed in our small groups. And so uh, just be thinking about these before you get to, to small group. Um, and, and I want to hear these things back. So small group leaders, 
make sure I, I get word um, of, of things and, y- you know, the ones that more apply to the church. Not, you don't have to tell me this person's struggling here, uh, but the, how we can adjust. But here are the questions, and they're, they're at the bottom of your notes. This one you ask yourself, uh, but you could talk about it with your group. In what ways do you have an individualistic view of Christianity? Just think that through. Think about how the individualistic mindset has influenced your Christian life so far. I'd also ask, how's it working out? But you guys can talk about that. Are you where you want to be? <laughs> Individualism will absolutely stunt growth. So next question, does PSBC, does Poplar Springs Baptist Church currently promote individualism or deep fellowship? And I want you guys to talk candidly about that. Hurt feelings, I don't care. Like, I, I, are we currently, the way we do things, promoting individualistic Lone Ranger Christian that we just come in, check our box, and leave? Or do we promote deep fellowship, togetherness, caring, uh, investing in one another's lives in a real way, a life-on-life, sharing-of-life way? Do we promote that as a church? So the next question, knowing the problem is one part, but I want you here too. What practical ways could we, the church, our church, adjust to be more fellowship-minded? What practical changes can we make? Like, go crazy with it. Like, how could we change our structure, the way we think about church, the way we do our, our church gatherings, to be more fellowship-minded? Then I ask, how can your small group be a part of that change? I mean, just as a suggestion, you could meet with your people in your small group on days that aren't small group days. You could do life together. You could be in one another's homes. You could be out walking in the park together. You can, uh, you know, wash your car together. Like, who cares? Like, it's just life, doing life together. Like, how, how can people in your small group do that? But, but we got to make it to, to us, like, put some responsibility on, on ourselves. How can you and your family be a part of that change? How, how can you help us, because we're all joined together as a community, how can you be a part of us being devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship, because we want to be faithful. We want to be fruitful. We want to honor God. We want to find uh, deep joy and satisfaction as we grow and as we bear fruit in our lives together. So how can we do that? I hope you can discuss that and get get, get back to me with the, those thoughts, and I, I'm ready to, to, to change in whatever ways the Lord is leading, practically, for how that fits our context. But I, I better pray. Father God, God, help us to just receive the weight of uh, your word today, uh, that maybe many of our, our uh, thoughts about Christianity and, and church um, have sort of just been, have the legs knocked out from under it, Lord, as we've seen that it is absolutely not individualistic, but a community idea when we become a Christian. And that community isn't uh, just brief, shallow relationships, but it is doing life on life, sharing life with one another with the purpose of pursuing greater faithfulness and fruitfulness, both in our own life and in the lives of those we fellowship with. Lord, help us. (laughs) 
to not let this just be a theology lesson. God, let it be theology that, that affects our lives practically. <clears throat> I think about that word devoted. They devoted, they prioritized, they oriented their whole lives around the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Oh God, by your spirit who has created this fellowship, would you help us to do fellowship the way that would glorify you, that would reach the lost, that would build us up. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.